The Big Scary Show is brought to you in part by Dark Imaginings. Web design, creepy changing portraits, and much, much more. DarkImaginings.com For the deepest, darkest creeps, to the backwoods swamp near the bottom, for the inside of your casket, to the fears lying deep inside your subconscious, it's time for the Big Scary Show. This is Damien from the Trail of Terror in Hurley, Mississippi. You're listening to The Big Scary Show. Hi, this is Charles Knight of Lost Souls Haunted, Tra- Haunted Attraction in Melbourne, Florida. And I can't talk, but I'm here on The Big Scary Show where they can. Hello, creeps. It's me, John Kassir, the voice of The Crypt Keeper. <laughs> and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. The top podcast in the industry. <laughs> this is Eric Beister, and along with my wife Lisa, we run the, the Beister's Haunted Vista here in West Carrollton, Ohio, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. Hi, I'm Tom Savini uh, from, let's see, lately, Django Unchained, Perks of a Wallflower, Machete Kills. And you're listening to The Big Scary Show. You're listening to The Big Scary Show with three big scary men and one that wears more makeup than I do. Hello, everyone. It's Drew Badger. If my voice sounds a bit muted, it's because I'm wearing a mask. Because wear a mask now, and you might be able to wear a mask Halloween. Let's all save Halloween by being safe out there now. We'd like to welcome all our new listeners on all the new streaming services, and we just wanted to give you a primer on what's going on with The Big Scary Show for this episode 215. Well, folks, if you're not familiar with the show, we have lots and lots of things that we do. We have all our hosts do their special segments. We have a big roundtable coming up. We have the latest news. And all sorts of fun. So, that being said, episode 215 is jam-packed full of lots and lots of cool stuff. I will be reading all the latest in Deadline News. Storm will be ranting about unsolved mysteries in his segment, The Haunt Minute. Meat Hook Jim will be talking about Romanian burial practices between the corpses. I wonder if Romania is next to Transylvania i got to check my geography books. The haunt-strumentalist and musician extraordinaire Jerry Vane will be spinning some rock and roll to keep you focused on the Halloween season. 
Beister will be doing part four of his countdown, The Horror of It All, talking about his favorite horror and pop culture things, and there'll be a whole lot more going on with that. Our roundtable of terror this week is all about home haunts. You know, home haunts are the next generation of professional haunts. We've got three haunters from around the country talking about all the cool things that they do at their home haunts. Um, We do want to apologize in advance. One of them was in a rather remote location, and the signal was not incredibly good during the interview. So we just want to make you aware of that. But other than that, it's a really informative and really cool roundtable. If you're one of those folks that are those people in the neighborhood, you'll probably identify with a lot of what they say. We've got all that, plus so much more, on this episode 215 of The Big Scary Show. Want to take your haunt to a new dimension of terror? Then let Dark Imaginings conjure up some ghoulish graphics and web design services for your home, haunt, or crypt. To see more of our products and services, drop by darkimaginings.com. Let us help you get ahead of your competition. (laughs) Prince of Darkness, hear me. They call him Luther the Berserk, but his blood brother is called Lucifer. I command you to appear. Their form is human, but they have crossed over. Spawn of the devil, master of black arts. It's been 50 years since a man looked at me like that. Where the weird rites of the supernatural sensualists defy description, no one is safe when the witch maker walks a trail of terror. Are you ready to meet the witch maker? Calabrese, Ghost Wolves, on the Big Scary Show.
Greetings, listeners, and welcome. Watch out. Don't trip over that torso. It's time for Between the Corpses. Greetings, listeners. Meet Hook Jim here. And now we're going to journey to the land of Dracula. In Romania, the customs and superstitions surrounding death stem from a blend of beliefs with preserved pre-Christian elements, as well as more current and predominantly Orthodox Christian beliefs. The Romanians have many superstitions about when the looming arrival of death will occur some of which include the unexpected breaking of furniture or mirrors. Others include, involve unusual and inappropriate sounds that certain animals might emanate, such as when a hen crows like a cock or a dog's howling. For Romanians, death is especially lurking in the shadows when a house has both a sick person and a dog residing in it. And things become especially serious if the dog keeps its heads down while howling and digging near the house. Additionally, the nearness of death grows if that ill person keeps his or, eyes, his or her eyes fixed upon his or her nails or upon a wall. Romanians also view owls as death birds, and their calls hold the title of being the most powerful omen for death. Light and songs play an extremely important role when it comes to someone's death in Romania. Only a stranger can hold the light for someone dying. Otherwise, death will be slow and painful. Holding the light leads to the creation of several mournful songs called Doinas. And I'm probably butchering that, but it's spelled D-O-I-N-A-S. Often, a lit candle represents a dying person's faith in Christianity and the belief that his or her spirit will be touched by light while he or she dies. A series of many rituals, some even dating back to Roman times, occur during the process of death in order to alleviate some of the superstitions surrounding death. To prepare for the final journey, loved ones open doors and cover water pails to allow the spirit and death to escape but prevent the spirit from falling and drowning. Once the bathing of the body, also traditional, is complete, loved ones leave water at the feet so the soul can have a chance to bathe. Strands of hair are collected so they can be secretly placed on the door since Luck's origin is never certain. Much detail goes into the preparation of bodies for vigils and funerals. Clothing varies depending on how old people were when they die. Elderly people usually pick out their burial outfits ahead of time. Young unmarried people are dressed in wedding clothes for their funerals. Due to a belief that those who die become angels, baby shirts are cut in order to help them fly. The bodies of the dead are placed on the ground with the heads to the east and feet to the door so they can figure out where they are headed next to on their final journeys. The final tokens given are candles fixed in the late one's hands to help guide the way and escape evil. Coins are also placed in their hands, tender to pay for the boats that will carry them to the next world. 
animals are driven away to prevent the souls of the dead from either becoming ghosts or entering into the bodies of the animals. When the head of the family dies, the harnesses of oxen are also are placed upside down to symbolize the topsy-turvy turn life takes without someone we are used to. Finally, before the vigil and funeral, Romanians prepare several food items, or alms, while keening women perform a lament called a bacheria. The bacheria is highly improvised and customized for the person being mourned. The performances happen three times during the morning, afternoon, and evening as the bells ring. Keening women take great care not to let tears fall on the face of the person who has died. During the keening time, relatives prepare the symbolic food or alms like the sweet bread, koliachi, koliva, a decorated dish of boiled wheat grains found in some parts of the country, represents the sins of the dead and is a traditional Eastern Orthodox Christian dish. This freshly made kolachia is used to, in the making of the very important pomul, which is a decorated branch of a fruit-bearing tree, which is filled with either dried or fried fruits in addition to the kolachi. The pomul symbolizes four things, the tree of life, the passage from the current world to the next, the shadowing and enjoyment of spirits after the journey is complete, and the paradise tree. This extensive preparation fortifies loved ones for the vigil and funeral processes to come. Now, anyway, thanks for listening. Catch you next time. Enter the haunted world of Fright Find and discover an environment dedicated to promoting your haunt. Target customers who will influence others on attending haunt attractions as Fright Find brings in scream seekers looking for haunted places, events, and accommodations of every sort. Various exposure options give you the ability to reach your audience throughout the year. Don't be afraid. Go to FrightFind.com now to add your haunt for free and see for yourself the difference Fright Find will make in your haunt listing. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it is time for Deadline News here on The Big Scary Show with your host, me, Drew Badger, bringing you all the latest in the haunted house Halloween, and horror industries. Hello everyone, this is Drew Badger and this is Deadline News for episode 215. And we're going to start things off with an update from The Big Scary Show. Great news, listeners. Aside from Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Google Home, Amazon Alexa, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio, we are pleased to announce that you can now find The Big Scary Show on... Pandora. We are very excited about this and being able to provide you so many outlets for you to listen to the show, you have no excuse not to listen. So please let us know where you're listening to us because we're very interested in knowing. Once again, folks, you can now find The Big Scary Show on Pandora, Spotify, and pretty much every other streaming platform. 
We have this info from Spooky Empire in Orlando and Tampa, Florida. Hello, Spooky family. While we've been doing our best to bring a little Spooky Empire into our lives this year, unfortunately, it just isn't in the cards. All the planning in the world would not help us execute the caliber of event that we're used to producing, and more importantly, the kind of event you're used to attending. There's just no way we could put out a product this year, put our name on it, and be proud. With the state we are here in Florida, even a few days in the future is unpredictable. Keeping our attendees, vendors, staff, volunteers, and families safe is paramount to us, and taking the risk of bringing everyone together right now is not something we're comfortable with, nor does it make it easy to plan a large event. Everything involved in this production is affected, from travel to meet and greets, parties, photo ops, not to mention the financial burden of safety protocols, capacity limits, and cancellations. So that means both Spooky Empire events have officially been canceled. That includes the August event at the Wyndham in Orlando and the Halloween event in Tampa. We thank the Wyndham and the City of Tampa and their Convention Center for working with us this year and for their cooperation. We are absolutely crushed by this final decision, but we know it's ultimately the best one for everyone. Moving forward, we are excited to already have our dates for 2021 locked in so we can plan on a blowout like no other year. Keep up with all those updates at SpookyEmpire.com. We have a little gaming news regarding the psychological horror game What Happened coming to Steam. And this comes to us via BloodyDisgusting.com. Revealed back in May, indie publisher Catnap and developer Genius Slackers have announced that their psychological horror game, What Happened, will launch on Steam later this month on July 30th. No word on the planned console release in the future. In addition to the release game announcement, Genius Slackers have released their first video development diary for What Happened. In this new diary, game director Arash Negban reveals the inspirations behind the story of what happened and when the t- and what the team set out to achieve while making the game. In what happened, high school student Styles is trapped within his own mind, a prisoner of his illness. Players must try to guide him to the light against the will of the demons that dominate his troubled mind. Only players' empathy and ability to read between the lines of his confused memories and drug-fueled hallucinations can turn Styles from his self-destructive path. You can watch that video diary on YouTube. Getting to a little haunted house news, we have this hiring news from Folklore Haunted House in Ackworth, Georgia. Folklore Haunted House is now hiring. We're seeking actors, makeup artists, event staff, and more. Work in Northwest Georgia's scariest haunted house. You must attend one of the dates to be considered for employment. August 8th from 6 to 8 p.m., August 30th from 1 to 3 p.m., or September 12th from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Due to current Georgia COVID-19 executive orders and CDC guidelines, as well as for your safety and the safety of our crew, you must wear a mask to the audition, and we will be social distancing during the interview process. If you have any questions or concerns, please let us know. Apply now, and thank you. Get more information and apply at folklorehauntedhouse.hauntscheduler.com. 
We have this news from the Haunted Hills Estate Screen Park in Uniontown, Pennsylvania. Haunted Hills Estate Screen Park will return for the 2020 season. We're busy implementing new ways to safely scare you this fall. Follow our Facebook and Instagram pages for updates, but for now, we're moving full scream ahead for our September opening. New scares, new expansions, and plenty more reasons to scream. Get ready to experience the ultimate haunted attraction and the haunted house that's worth it. Looking for an awesome job? Come scare at Haunted Hills Estate Screen Park. We're looking for some bloodthirsty maniacs to unleash upon the world. Do you fit the bill? Our next set of auditions will be held August 8th in our Midway starting at 6 p.m. Come prepared to get your Google on and get more information at their Facebook page, facebook.com slash Haunted Hills Estate. And finally, we have this update from Donay Insurance. For all you haunt owners that use Donay Insurance. FCIS Insurance, a national provider of insurance services based in Forest City, Iowa, has recently announced an acquisition. Courtney Wooge, hope I got that right, owner and president of FCIS Insurance, has purchased Donay Insurance Services based in New Libsyn, Wisconsin. Donay Insurance is licensed nationwide with a specialized niche in insuring special events and attractions. The company will operate separately from FCIS Insurance. The current staff, locations, and contact info will all remain the same. The sale became official on July 1st. Wooj is purchasing the stock of Donay Insurance from Ashley Donay and Kenny Donay II, the children of the late Ken Donay. Donay was the founder and president of the company until his recent passing. Ashley and Kenny said they are happy to see Courtney continue with the Donay Insurance name and build on the reputation of the company has in the event and attraction industry. Wooj says, quote, I'm excited to expand into another nationwide niche and help Donay Insurance Services grow. They're a great company with loyal clients. Lee, Michelle, and myself look forward to working with them, all of them, in the future. I plan to keep everything the same during this smooth transition. Unquote. You can get more information at Donay Insurance, D-O-N-A-T, insurance.com. Remember, folks, if you have news in the haunted house, Halloween, or horror industries, and you want it on the show, email it to us, news at bigscaryshow.com, and we'll get it on the show. No news is too big or too small. This concludes this edition of the Big Scary Show's Deadline News. <laughs> Ohio Haunted House Owners Actors and enthusiasts, join the new Ohio Haunters Association. We are working with haunters across the state, from home to pro, to strengthen the Ohio haunt community. Open to all owners, actors, makeup artists, prop builders, designers, and Halloween paranormal enthusiasts. The Ohio Haunters Association, where haunting is the heart of it all. Look for us on Facebook.
And ladies and gentlemen, of course, that music does signify it is once again time for the Round Table of Terror, now streaming for the very first time on Pandora, along with our other streaming services that you heard about during the news. And with this time of the year, you know, everyone's getting into build season, everyone's getting into, you know, hiring and all that stuff. And, and with the pandemic going on, everything's kind of been on hold. But there is one group of haunters that if you look at the social medias, they're out there, they're asking questions, they're buying stuff, they're showing pictures of stuff that they're doing and places that are open with Halloween stuff. And that, of course, are the home haunters. You know, every single year you see those folks, those people in the neighborhood, you got some that are, you know, simple yard displays. You've got some that are just absolutely fantastic. I think we had a home haunt one time on the MHC pre-show bus tour a number of years ago, and it was pretty darn impressive. But a lot of home haunters go on to become professional haunters. A lot of them are just simply content with being home haunters. So we thought we'd ask the question, why do you like being a home haunter? What does it take to be a home haunter? Do you plan to be a pro haunter? All these questions and more hopefully will be answered tonight with our guests. We put the call out and got a few responses. So let's see who we have here. Down in Melbourne, Florida, we have Charles Knight, who has a home haunt called Lost Souls. I believe that's Meat Hook Jim's old stomping ground. Charles, are you with us? I am indeed. It's great to have you on the show. I'm sure it is crazy down in Florida right now. Mm, we will. Yeah, it's pretty scary. <laughs> uh, and it's not even October yet. No, it's uh, not. Oh, about, no. As, about as far north away from Florida as you can get up in Michigan, we have Jennifer Dunahy, I hope I didn't butcher that, who is with the Haunting Yay. of Story. Haunting of Storybook Hollow in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Jennifer, are you there? Yep, I'm here. Okay, and I, I believe you're the first guest that's ever been on our show calling in from the beach. So that's that's kind of cool. Right. So. <laughs> and yeah, we no. had a... Go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, I was just saying. So don't mind the, the doing buggies and children running around. <laughs> it's great to have you here. Thank you. And, of course, we have our special correspondent, Weister, with us of the Haunted Vista in West Carrollton, Ohio. He's not technically a home haunter. He's more like an apartment haunter. We'll have to figure out what that's all about. <laughs> Weister, good to have you with us. Thank you, sir. And, of course, we have our usual bevy of hosts, including up in Rhode Island, we have Storm. Greetings from the Stormyland Experience Spa and Resort. <laughs> but not haunt. <laughs> the man who cannot wipe the smile off his face right now down in Cincinnati, we have Meat Hook Jim. You got that right. You know, no disrespect to our other guests, but Charles, I've been looking forward to this. You were down in my... I, I grew up in the Melbourne area all the way until uh, probably close to my 40s. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to this. <laughs> and okay. up in Columbus, Ohio, we have the Haunster medalist, Jerry Vane. I'm sitting here with a margarita in Coverville. <laughs> Sounds like a great time. My name is Drew Badger down in Charlotte, North Carolina, where it is just hot and humid and miserable. 
So it's a perfect time to talk about home haunts. Uh, to our guests, um, what made you decide you wanted to start doing a home haunt? Was it just a you know big love of Halloween? Did you just do a yard display and it went from there? What what got you guys started in on that? And let's let's ask Jennifer that question. We'll go ladies first on this. Oh, actually, it's it's kind of a funny story. So I've always just loved everything spooky and Halloween since I was well, since as long as I can remember. And my dad used to put the big like 1970s, 80s speakers up on our roof and play the the um, Disney songs of the haunted house throughout the whole neighborhood. And so him and I just always got, got into that. And then a friend of mine called me when I was 11 years old and said that she and her family had stumbled on this big Halloween display in the next town over and she knew I loved Halloween. She said, so my dad and I drove up there and we just stood there and we're like, oh, we need to do this. And we went right home and got to work and put up a little display that Halloween. And it became a tradition. My dad and I would build this yard haunt every year. I'd get to take the day off of school because we'd set it up just for Halloween. And we did that every year until I moved out. And then it took me two years to convince my husband that we needed to start it at our house. We just went there, got bigger and bigger every year. Are you those people in the neighborhood or are there more? There are more. It's really cool. Our neighborhood actually has always had a lot of really good, solid haunts. And last year, I thought just, you know, just to bring it up a notch, I started a Halloween decorating contest in our neighborhood and enter it, of course, because we were running it. And there were about four or five houses that go all out in our neighborhood. And I thought maybe we'd add another four or five to that. We had 20 entries. So we had houses in our is houses in our neighborhood completely decked out so we're like one of the big main ones but we're not the only house like our whole neighborhood goes crazy for halloween we get about 1500 trick-or-treaters every year it's, our neighborhood's just crazy for halloween so i really Fantastic. feel fortunate about that nice uh charles <laughs> how about you what what got you started into the halloween home haunting business so to speak well, actually, I started out as a pro haunter back in the early 90s. Um, I've always been very autistic, if you will, you know, or, or play on words. But uh, somebody said, hey, man, we're, uh, we're doing a, a show. And at the time, I was living at a little town called Trenton outside of Gainesville um, because my mother was living up there. And she was ill at the time, terminally ill. So I moved up there. And they said... Uh, do you know anybody who uh, is willing to help out? So I went in and I started putting the show together, designing and, and doing, you know, all the initial building. And then they brought in a crew and whatnot. And it was for the city of, of, uh, of Trenton, Florida. And it was a small haunt, probably uh, 1,800 square feet. But that was our first uh, commercial haunt. And then we did one for Gainesville the following year because they liked what we did. And then I left that business um, after mom passed and I did a little home haunt. And then I did it for three or four years. I can't remember. And then got kind of burned out. You know how it is. You, you're either happy or you're not. So I got out of it and I went back on the road in bands again. And and, uh, and it uh, <clears throat> excuse me eventually i settled here in uh, melbourne and yeah you know i put a couple of homemade uh 
uh, tombstones out front and throw a par 64 on them or whatever and you know throw a small pa out there and, and play some scary music uh some fugues uh, and it just grew and now we're doing a haunt that's uh and nobody by the way jennifer i i'm envious as hell of you because i wish the other people in our neighborhood would be into it, but they're not. They they're they're cool with me and and with us. They they let us do it and and they tolerate the traffic patterns and whatnot. But nobody else does it here. Right now we do it in the front yard, both sides, and in the backyard, and we're just under three thousand square feet. Wow, how many uh, trick or treaters do you have coming by? We don't get a lot of trick or treaters. We get a lot of people who want to, you know, throw a little cash in a Ben and and just walk around and get this shit scared out of them. Oh, nice. So you're like a half step away from professional then. Well, we've got 22 professional audio systems. Uh, I forget how many foggers now. Um, probably 15 or so. We've got almost a million watts of lighting. Um, yeah, we're we're getting there. <laughs> nice. How about you, Vister? Uh, I know you you don't live in a house. You live in an apartment. You've been doing you know your haunted vista for a number of years. What got you started into creating this? I'm not, my story isn't that dissimilar from Jennifer's. I was um, the neighborhood I grew up in Chicago had a fair abundance. I mean, this is the 1970s. A fair abundance of home haunts with the black lights. I mean, what people had for it. It had an effect on me with the speakers on the roof playing the records, the black lights, some crank ghosts in the front yard. And we had a fair amount of it, but I was never really allowed to do it for two reasons. One, I lived in a condominium, grew up in a condominium. And two, my parents hated Halloween so much. And anything Halloween related ended up in the dumpster. You get the picture. So when I got a little older, when I got married to Lisa... We started to talk about it and just kind of started off with some decorations here and there to the patio. And then we ended up where we are now. And the uh, management liked what we did and kept giving us more and more leeway. <laughs> that was about the extent of it right there. Have you ever had issues with management uh, refusing to let you do anything at, the, at a particular complex? Because I know you've lived a couple of places since you've been on the show. Actually, no, we've always been in this complex since I've been on the show. We just had to change units because management, uh, the complex was sold in 2017, but the owners were hip to what we were doing, so they pretty much let us, they let us have the run of the place when it comes to that. Um, and it's very odd because in this neck of the woods, and we've thought about moving many, many times just for a change of scenery or locale, but most of the apartment complexes know about us and they're dying to get their hands on us. They would love to have us come on do our thing in there, which is really odd. I found that peculiar, but I'm going to roll with it. As long as we're here, though, we have free reign to do what we wish. Oh, very nice. So to our guests, how, um, how long does it take you or when do you start setting up? Uh, let's go with Charles for that one. When, when do you start rolling out all the speakers and the, the stuff? Well, the, the sound systems are, are the last things really to go in. I mean, I pre-wire everything, but we're mainly outdoors. Um, we have, I have a, uh, <laughs> I do the front yard and the sides. There's uh, the one side is covered. Um, in the back, we have actually a full-size covered stage because we usually throw parties and stuff too. It's 16 by 24, so I can pre-hang uh, lights and sound there, but um I also have two temporary uh, car garages, you know, made out of the, uh, the steel poles in the back that I throw tarps over. 
and then everything else is is an outdoor haunt with you know a, a maze if you will um but the walls go up first and uh they'll go up uh, about mid-september and that that creates a buzz in the neighborhood you know as long as they can't see what's going on <laughs> it's not a Halloween season until they start seeing the walls go up right you yeah, know it's happening I, I've got to ask Charles this, and, and, you know, Charles, you know, you and I talked offline and everything. I know approximately where you are um, in Melbourne, and, you know, how much, I mean, how much throughput do you get during your show? I mean, you know, we talked a little bit, and, you know, I'm really excited about this because I grew up there. Uh, what kind of what kind of uh, throughput do you are you looking at for the season? I have no idea what to expect this year. Anywhere from five people to five thousand. Um, you, you know, we, we're spiking really bad right now. It's it's right. And I'm I'm going to continue the construction of the haunt as though this isn't occurring. But you know, I mean, uh, last year probably uh, fifteen, um, and, and that was over two weekends. Fifteen hundred. That's it. Okay. Because I, it was very limited. Because I I'm still work as an entertainer as well, so I have to work. So right. Uh, you know, and and but we're we've gotten so big now, and and everybody around here knows about us. Um, you know, I, I just can't, I can't really make any logical projections for this year. We might not even do it at this point because right now, dude, we're getting almost twenty thousand people a day uh, getting hit with this COVID stuff. I understand that, but before the COVID, I mean, about fifteen hundred. Okay, about fifteen hundred. It wasn't how- huge, no. And how long have you I didn't been do doing any, it? Any advertising at all? Okay. And how how long have you been doing it? Uh, here, uh, three years. Four, three, yeah, three years. Okay. Um, I still have friends that live in the area. I'm going to send some emails out to them. And say, hey, go check this out because absolutely. I, I as a matter of fact, I've got a friend that lives just off of 192, about uh, three miles from you. Uh, so I'm going to let her know and to check it out. And I've got other friends in the area uh, and I even might make it down there in October. I've got vacation the first week of October. Well, I probably won't be open the first week of October. I, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's up in the air. Like I say right now, um, definitely the second, I want to open at the very latest mid October. Okay. So if you do come on down, just, uh, I'll hook up with you online, send you my phone number and the address and everything else, and uh, there you go. Cool. I can I can adjust my I can adjust my schedule. It's still uh, you know flexible right now, so you know if I have to adjust it, I, I will adjust. It. I'd like to check it out. All right, Jennifer. How long does it take you to get uh, the haunting of Storybook Hollow up and running? Well, I start working on builds and things like that um pretty much like the day after christmas um i kind of promised my family that we'd get through the holiday season before i started (laughs) running house over halloween but um and then so that's just kind of what i do in the house and then we used to start like around october 1st and then have it up like within a week or two um i did the facade now i have to start setting up pretty much the week of september to be up and running by October because the facade just covers the entire house from the edge to the other end of the house. 
that takes a while to set up before I can even start setting up the rest of the car. So, uh, no, three weeks. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad. I don't know. I think our township has rules against the neighborhood. So they just don't look the other way. Like, you know, I still have a yard. Or they just like, okay, whatever. <laughs> just let it be. But yeah, it's a good good three weeks running at least to get it up there. So, yeah. <laughs> That's not bad. Three weeks and all. Yeah. Uh. yeah, and it's just it's just my husband and um my 16-year son pretty much that set it up. So, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's process. It's fun. It's, it's fun when people start seeing it, you know, popping up. You put the club first. It's getting it. So that's fun. Okay. How about you, Vister? How long does it normally take you to set up? Well, we do it in two phases. <clears throat> we have a we're on the second floor, and the way it works is we do the patio and our interior of our apartment first. This, um, but the we don't do the full display on the patio until first weekend of this, uh, October. And that's when we do the cemetery. So it's a drawn out process. I mean. The other two folks here on who know what, what I'm talking about, it just takes time. And you have to do it slowly because you screw the wires up, you're pretty much toast. And the really heavy preliminary stuff is done Labor Day weekend with all the wiring and everything, getting you ready for the cemetery the next month. But yeah, it takes, if you want to put it down to it, probably about two, three weekends worth of work. And it's just you and your wife? Correct. Okay. Like I said, the, the, the Labor Day weekend is the harder part because you got to get all the wires out, get the, you know, make sure the electrical works and all that kind of stuff. The cemetery actually is an afternoon's work. It's just the preliminary one. It's tons of it. <laughs> well, I know I've seen pictures of your stuff on social media like months before October saying, hey, any guesses what this tombstone's going to be? And, you know, <laughs> teasers oh, out there. Are you talking about um, prop work? We, that's all, the only time we're not really doing projects is um, November, December, well, obviously Thanksgiving and Christmas. But after the new year, it's pretty much fair game, but we rarely start putting stuff together till March or April. The only reason we had one year where I was working in January is the year I got uh, laid off a couple of years ago, and I did a big revamp on everything. But other than that, it's okay. usually March March forward, and we start working on projects. We really don't get serious till around this month. Gotcha. Want to remind everybody, you are listening to the Roundtable of Terror here on the Big Scary Show. We are talking home haunters with Jennifer Dunahy of Grand Rapids, Michigan, Charles Knight of Melbourne, Florida, Vister from West Carrollton, Ohio, our usual co-hosts. We are going to take a very short break here, and we will be right back. In 1897, Dr. Alexander Hammond arrived at an institution for the criminally insane, only to discover the unsolved murders of several guards. Drivers, where are we? Jerry Vane takes you into Black Moon Asylum, a twisted abyss of torment, madness, and the horrifying mystery of Patient 292. Time for your medication. 
Dune Asylum, a symphonic journey into darkness from instrumentalist Jerry Vane. Download Black Moon Asylum at jerryvane.com, iTunes, cdbaby.com, Amazon MP3, and your favorite download site. And we're back to the Roundtable of Terror talking home haunts with several home haunters. We have Jennifer Dunahy from Michigan, Charles Knight from Florida, Vister from Ohio, our usual co-host. And I believe Storm had a question as we were coming out of the break. Yeah, one of the neat things about being a home haunter is how you guys will get picked up by local media, whether it's a newspaper, you know, the, the local five and dime trader thing, or even the local uh, news. What is the strangest question or just media reference that anybody's ever asked you about that? You know, just (laughs) the weirdest thing that they've got. Uh, Charles, let's go with you first. (laughs) You know, I got more in my first uh, professional haunt up in uh, Trenton. I got more publicity from the local churches because it's in the Bible Belt than I did from anybody else. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, I did get one of the little local township papers and they said, well, what do you think about all of these churches protesting outside your haunt? And I said, well, I like them a lot because they're letting everybody know we're here. (laughs) Fantastic. Feister, what about you? Oh, I've got a lot of, we haven't made much media impact except for the local, um, neighborhood newspaper everybody keeps telling us there's these great articles and we never send nobody brings us a copy of the paper and we can't find them but regardless of that i think the funniest thing that has ever happened to us in terms of the attention we have got was a neighbor who was my wife and i are christian there's no big secret about that but this woman was one of these really holy rollers who would telling the management that we were sacrificing children to the devil in the living room oh my gosh yeah she poured rock salt in front of our door to keep the evil spirits in, including us. I kid you not, there was a half circle of rock salt on our front door. Yeah, because we all know from Supernatural, that keeps monsters away. And one day I walked out and she threw holy water. I'm not kidding. Holy water at my chest. Did it burn? I looked at her. I, everybody said I should have said that. I just looked at her, held my, because she it was a big vial. She made a cross on my chest. Be gone. And she's something like, be gone, evil spirit. And I just po- looked at my chest and I just went, really? <laughs> but yeah, that went all through the neighborhood. She was complaining to the management who were behind us, by the way, who knew us very well at the time, the office girl. But that got us a lot of attention that year because people were checking us out quite a bit. <laughs> Wild. And Jennifer, what about you? I'm sure you've had some interesting conspira- uh, comparisons or some weird questions over the years with your facade and dragons. Yeah, well, we we do tend to get a lot of like local news coverage. Like news stations will come out, and um, I actually had a couple once a couple of stations that were out and they overlapped with each other, and I thought that was kind of awkward. And um, we've been in the newspaper, but. The question that I get that I think is the most fun, I get asked a ton if I am indeed a witch. And I refuse to confirm or deny. I just leave them wondering. I'm like, you know, maybe. I don't know. But I get that a lot <laughs> if I'm a witch. I think please, it's hilarious. And, please uh, tell me you're so wearing a big black hat. I, <laughs> I know, right? Um, I did get a letter once, though, from uh, um, it was it was addressed from concerned mother telling me that my children were 
going to go to hell and because I wasn't, you know, teaching them properly and, you know, that we should be ashamed of ourselves. But, um, and I did get, oh my goodness, I used this, do you remember it's old, the big screen TV crystal ball from way back when? Apparently for, there's a really short segment in the video where there's this person called a demon and I had somebody drag her kids out of her yard saying that we had like images of Satan and I'm like, we have the most kid friendly haunt. And I still managed to piss somebody off. But yeah, other than getting asked if I'm a witch, you know, that's, that's, you know, we haven't got too much excitement, you know, but yeah, it's so funny. Can, can I interject I something asked. here real quick? This is Charles. Can, can I say something real quick about religion and, and just, just real quick about religion and, and Halloween haunted houses. Go ahead. My first exposure to the biggest haunt in Miami where I grew up actually was Campus Life Haunted House. I don't know if anybody here has ever heard of it, but it was probably 50,000 square feet and it was put on by local churches. <laughs> Go figure. Oh, that is the same exact thing here. Our church that we've been part of for the last 20 years, they support us. I mean, obviously those certain lines we're not on certain subjects we won't cover, but they we've got their blessing. They think it's adorable. But, you know, I've got to say something. And, you know, Jennifer was talking about it and they kept asking if she was a witch. Uh, and uh, I've always kept this kind of on the down low, but I actually am a witch. Uh, Technically I, a warlock. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. Warlocks are called, it mean, warlock means oath breaker. I, I am Wiccan. I have followed the Wiccan religion for years. I am a witch. I am a male witch. And I'm proud to be a witch. And I am not a warlock. So get that straight. There is we a difference. Are. I know what he's talking we, about. We, um, we both are. Both Jim and I. Exactly. Nice. And it's an earth-based religion. <laughs> Go ahead, Jennifer. Oh, see, and I, I don't... I don't necessarily follow like the Wiccan path specifically, but I am pagan. Definitely more Wiccan leaning. I just have really ascribed to a particular path, but I am pagan, so that's I just get a kick out of that when they say that. Yeah, I'm like, my wife's the same way. But mm -hmm. yeah, we live in a I I don't know. We live in a sort of conservative little pot, like a like a really kind of just the pocket where we live. I don't know if that would really fly, so I just leave it a mystery. <laughs> but yeah, no. so I don't want to get—I don't want to bring trouble for my gut. I, I get it, and yeah. you know, um, being being pagan is fine. You know, Wiccans are pagan as well, mm -hmm. so you know, right? Mm -hmm. You know, people are narrow-minded. That's the problem. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and I got the other end of it. <laughs> Well, you know, Eric, you're Christian. I get it, and I and I respect that. Right. But I'm just saying that I don't judge. It's that's not up to us to judge. That's good because I'm glad you don't because too many do. Well, like I said, I'm on the other side of the fence. My own faith. I mean, Jesus didn't judge, and my goodness, his followers sure do plenty of it. There you go. But I have a question again for Jennifer. While we were on talking about your kid-friendly haunt, how did how did you come up with the name, the haunting of Storybook Hollow? That's that's a bit of an unusual name. It's actually quite cool. I like it. Yeah. 
kind of a it's kind of a mouthful. Like as we've used it for this is our twelfth year with that theme. I you know I think oh, I should have picked something shorter, but um, I knew that it was going to be. I'm like a children's lit nerd, and I really like how really dark the real actual fairy tale. And so I knew I wanted it to be fairy tale, twisted fairy tale themed. And um, I've got quite an elaborate backstory that I've built on over the few years. I, I just thought, you know, I wanted it. I knew it was going to be the haunting of because the backstory is that the the villains are, they come back on Halloween and haunt all of their, you know, the, the good guys and what. No, so I knew that, you know, it was going to be the haunting of, so I just needed to come up with a name for the village. And Storybook Hollow just came to mind, and so I went with it. And so... 12 years I'm still using it even though it is kind of a mouthful it just sounds so innocent and yet so, <laughs> oh let's go listen to a story and all of a sudden so, sounds fun there's a I believe it was on the MHC tour a few years ago is it down in Kentucky there's a fairy tale themed haunt the name escapes me at the time is it Grim Trails might be in the Louisville area I don't remember. I remember going to it on the bus tour. I don't remember if any of the hosts went on that one, if Jerry or Jim was on that trip. But uh, fairy tales can be incredibly scary and spooky and dark, especially if you do follow the original text of a lot of them. So, which which one was that, Drew? Yeah, I believe it was called Grim. I believe it was called Grim Trails, and it was Um, an outdoor haunt. It was fairy tale themed, more along the lines. I vaguely remember that one. Okay. I do remember the edge of uh, was it the edge of forever out in Michigan, the home haunt we went to after Twisted uh, Twisted Darkness. Okay. You remember that one? I do remember that one. That was yeah. that that marathon where we went to like twenty haunts in two days. Mm. Oh god! Yeah, my my there's feet rat, still hurt from there's it. There's rotten apples too. Sorry. She said something about rotten apple. Oh. Yeah, they they change. They they I think they originated with that, and then they. Think, hello, anybody there? Every year, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. But... Hello. Okay. Yeah, we hear you. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, it didn't originate with that with the particular something. I think. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, Charles, how did you get the name for Lost Souls? Oh, because my imagination. Well, actually, I, I, I wanted to do one, and I, I built the signage and everything called uh, Shallow Graves in the Swamp. But then I, because actually I was kind of raised in Miami and the Everglades. I'm, I'm, my friends all called me Swamp Rat growing up. But uh, <laughs> then I, I started doing the research, and there were like, just so many haunts out there having to do with shallow graves and swamps. So I, I wanted to do something a little bit um, less uh, confining, something that I could utilize in many different ways as my themes change. So Lost Souls seemed to fit that picture. Okay. Wasn't there a shallow grave haunt in Florida that just closed down a couple of years ago? I believe it was called the you know, Shallow I- I'm not really sure. Um, we had one here. It was an airboat, uh, a haunt. And, of course, it was a commercial haunt. And you'd jump on an airboat with five or six other people, and they'd take you through. And 
and there were some swamp graves there, but I'm not sure about a shallow graves in the swamp hmm. here. That actually sounds really cool. Actually, I got all of their all of their props and stuff. They said uh, they shut down. There was some internal uh, arguing between the uh, the people who had put it on, and and one guy who had all the props said, "Hey, man, you want this?" And he gave me uh, about literally three tons worth of stuff. And I said, "There you go. I'll take anything for free." Heck yeah! Wow. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Vister, um, I don't think you officially have a name for the haunt, but you do call it the Haunted Vista, which I believe yeah, is takeoff of your of your blog. But uh, is that how the name came up? Was it named after the blog, or, or no, does... neither? It was a conversation my wife Lisa and I had with Dick Terhune. Believe it or not, he is partially responsible for that name, and Lisa kind of changed it around a little bit. But Dick came up with the idea, and we just kind of settled on it, and we've called both the same thing ever since. Okay. Interesting. Any uh, questions from the host or guests? Yeah, I've got a question for Charles. Uh, um, I You said you've been, what, you've been going for, what, three years now? Is that correct? Yeah. Um, three three years as a home haunt. Before that, just you know, displace. Sure. Uh, now, uh, the first year that you really opened up per se, uh, what kind of reception did you get? I mean, I know the area. You've explained to me where it is. How did how did it go across? I mean, was it was it well received? Yeah, no negativity at all. Um, we live in a, on a, a dead-end road as well, so um, there is a, an issue with traffic sometimes. Right. But I usually have a couple of volunteers, and we're, and we're all volunteer, by the way. We have, we have, uh, we have three main uh, working uh, tenants, if you will. We recycle, we repurpose, and we volunteer. 90% uh, of what we have here was either given to us or built from... Stuff that would normally be uh, end up in the landfill, so that's 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 very important to us. Um, but as far as the outcome and and the uh, you know people's reaction to it, everything was pretty positive. Um, and we have volunteers out there, you know, directing traffic so that it doesn't get too snarled. So there you go. Okay, and uh, you know, how many actors do you have volunteering for you? Well, you know, that's another thing. Um, usually a lot. Um, and that scheduling, I, you know, scheduling is like one of the biggest jobs there is when it comes to volunteers because not everybody's available for every night. Sure. And you have to have, you know, a certain amount of people to play this character and that character and that character and that character. I'm sure you're all well aware of this. So uh, probably on an average, well, this year I had hoped to have, and I, once again, we're dealing with COVID here. I had hoped to have about anywhere between 18 and 26 volunteers. Wow. Uh, actors. Uh, now, that's throughout the two weeks of being open. And, and uh, I like to open Friday, Saturdays, and Sunday nights. Um, but we, well, like I say, <laughs> we may not even open. I hope we do I'm more than anything else because, like yourselves, we work year-round on this. It's a nonstop process. Well, you know... I, I think that's awesome what you're doing. And uh, I actually have a niece that's in her mid-20s 
that lives in Palm Bay that loves to haunt. So I'm going to refer her to you, and hopefully maybe she can uh, you know help you out if you, you guys send her are... our way, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, she will she... eat her pizza and soda and. <laughs> I the will. <laughs> I will definitely refer her to you, and I might even get might even get my nephew, her younger brother, to do it too. The more the merrier. That's what I always say, brother. I I will definitely refer her to you. I will talk to her, and if she's uh, all good with it, I'll connect you to. Sounds great, man. I I really do appreciate that. We're basically uh, bless you, by the way. We're basically a. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm a one-man guy. I, I, I do all my propage. I build all the propage all year long by myself. And then uh, probably a week from today, some of our friends will be showing up and helping me build some of the larger things and, and start to get the walls ready and whatnot and, and fix stuff that's, that's you know, falling to uh, ruin since last year. You know how that goes. Oh, yeah. And I'm even going to throw this out. If I can rearrange my schedule, I'll bring costumes with me, and I'll work with you. <laughs> I'm liking this guy a lot here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I would l absolutely love to. My old stomping grounds? Heck yeah. Well, uh, we'll feed the kids sodas, and I'll, I'll supply the beer for you. Beer's good. Always good. <laughs> Jennifer, how many people do you have working at the uh, home haunt? Jennifer, can you repeat that again? You were breaking up. Now, we don't really have anybody working with just myself and my husband, and sometimes the kids will help. Uh, I we just uh, have like a, a trail that says we accumulate. Okay, that makes sense. So, so you don't get like neighborhood kids wanting to join in and be a part of it or anything like that? I. Actually, just try to summer and ask if could help. So, like, uh, it's just us, it's a family Okay. How about you, Vister? It's just you and your wife. There's nobody actually working. No, it's a bit, we're basically a display, if you will. It's there just for people to enjoy i mean you know, we get a lot of kids i mean that was a big thing we get a lot of traffic cops come by and take selfies we get vans full of boy and girl scouts the neighbors come and check us out we do have a portion of it where we let like the neighborhood kids come in and take a look but obviously covid may change that this year because we we do the whole living room and front room and the hallway up real nice but overall it's more just for enjoyment there's no acting per se I mean, I we wouldn't know what to do with them if we had them. <laughs> but it's like I said, it's just eye candy and a little bit of fun for the neighborhood and stuff like that. And that's as far as it goes. Okay. Uh, any other questions, folks, before we start slowly winding this down? Well, it, it wouldn't be a roundtable if we didn't throw out the ultimate, you know, controversial home honor question out there. 
how do you secure your tombstones? Vyster, you can go first. Uh, what do you mean by secure? If it's windy and they don't blow away, I'm guessing. Oh, I was wondering if he was talking about like security measures. That's why I'm alluding to. Um, rebar or metal spikes. All right, Charles, what about you? How do you secure your tombstones? I've always uh, used the metal spikes. However, uh, I've been watching a lot of sites and a lot of tutelage of late. So I'm going to start inserting uh, half-inch PVC into my tombstones and then rebar in the ground and just slide them on. Not too bad. And Jennifer, what about you? Any uh, any secure tombstones or any other, um, you know, uh, fantasy, you know, uh, storybook theme things? And guess she comes in great when we're not asking her questions. Trust us. <laughs> 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 um, my. Um. Area like this, the graveyard. They um, that the rock garden when it's not Halloween. So I just kind of make sure I have a few rocks in front of and behind so that they just appear on my land. But then my other, my monuments that I have for they just sit on the ground and don't need to be secured at all. Okay. A uh, question for all the guests out there. What is your opinion on inflatables? They seem to be the big thing in a lot of neighborhoods, not necessarily home haunters or displayers, but, you know, you go to the hardware store and you see them everywhere. What do you guys use them for if you do? I have a bunch that somebody can buy. <laughs> Vyster, do you use inflatables? Yeah, I'm okay with them. Uh, the, more for accents than anything else. I don't. We don't use them extensively. We have two, and like I said, one of them is um, like a scarecrow, pumpkin king sort of thing, and the other is a dragon. But that is more for an off center. So if you look at the, like I said, look at the photographs and see how we do them. They're okay. I was like a lot of other people who for a long time didn't like them but the way they are now and the way our themes run they're okay i mean if you use them as accents and don't rely on them too much they're cool i've kind of and this is charles i've been kind of uh considering using one or two up on the uh main drag there as a uh you know almost like a signage sort of thing this is the way Works okay. like that, and uh, from experience, fences are fantastic for inflatables, especially because you can raise them up on a platform, and when you deflate them, they're not just laying in your yard. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I have neighbors that do that with Christmas stuff, and they have like 15 Santas and snowmen and elves, and every morning when they're deflated, it just looks like a massacre in the yard. I like a massacre. <laughs> <laughs> They always look like they had too much to drink first thing in the morning. Like, they didn't quite make it home. I think half of you people have been there. <laughs> no, no comment. Nope. <laughs> I didn't disclude myself from that, just so you know. <laughs> uh, any other questions before we start to wind this down? 
Not from this end. I'm good. Okay. It's been really uh, enjoyable talking to you people and listening to you. Thank you, sir. I'll throw this question out then. Any plans for any of our hosts to or guests to go pro at this point to take that next step? Yes. <laughs> Care to elaborate on that, Charles? Well, I have actually been talking to a group of potential investors, and we've begun looking at permanent facilities. Um, a lot of big box stores have been shut down of late. However, the re the rents are still super supremely high, just horrifying. But I'm hoping that that'll change in the near future, or we can find something. Because as as you folks know as well as anybody else in this industry, you need a lot of room for your queues. You need a lot of room for parking, and you, it's not just a matter of having a big building. You have to have the other things that go along with a big building. But we are uh, in negotiations with uh, some lawyers down here who went th walked through our haunt last year. Um, I actually invited them on purpose. And they, without me saying anything at all to them, they said, hey, let's do something bigger. And then they started talking about, let's do it like spirit. You know, we can rent a building for two months and, and do this, that, and the other thing. And, and then I tried to explain to them how, you know, that's great and everything else, but you really need something year-round so that you're not moving everything in semis because we're almost to the point where we need semis. Um, well, you know what I'm saying? So it's we're in negotiations. Interesting. We're having our own little American scream moment here, if you remember that uh, documentary a few years ago. This is excellent. <laughs> Hell, some areas of the country, Connex boxes are almost as expensive as, uh, expensive as uh, floor space. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 interesting, but you know, I mean, if you, I guess, I'm hoping that if I shop around enough and look around enough and do enough research, that something really cool will come our way. Well, we wish you good luck on that. Uh, any final questions from the guests or the hosts? I have a question for Eric. I'm very intrigued by this apartment haunt. I want to know exactly how that works. <laughs> okay, I'll try and keep this short. Oh, Lord. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shut up. I do the editing. Remember that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Believe me, I know, Jerry. Um, long story short, um, we started doing... Um, we, my wife and I have been apartment lover, livers, whatever you want to call it, a <laughs> little, uh, since we got married because we we're planning to eventually move back to Chicago. So we didn't want to invest any money in any equity. But as time has gone on, we've had different sources of, um, how do I say, different aspects or different views. And we just tried different things over the years. It really didn't start to coalesce until we got to our current place where we're at now. Where we started, they had a good-sized patio, and we just did patio scenes and decorated the inside of the apartment. And the patio scenes got progressively more elaborate. Now, if you know about anything about apartment life, especially when it comes to the office manager, that seat changes all the time. So over the years, we've, we've been very fortunate and blessed to have people in the office who are hip to what we're doing. And in 2012, the young lady, her name was Amanda, 
who ran the place basically says, why don't you use the front yard? I'm like, are you kidding me? We were terrible. We thought about it. We were terrified of getting evicted, but she gave us free reign and it got bigger and bigger every year. And as I said earlier, we've considered moving many times. We've checked out different apartment complexes and a lot of these people are aware of us. And at least in this neck of the woods, they're very hip to it. We've only been rejected with by two apartment complexes out of about 30. So, like I said, I think it's just the luck of the draw. We're in a good position to do this. Also, if you rent homes, they're very open to that as well out here. So that's about how it just fell. We were just very lucky and very fortunate to have people who are hip to what we're doing. That's all it really was. Okay. Well, guys, I, I want to wish all of you best of luck this year. Hopefully, there will be, you know, a Halloween, everyone on the social medias are like, do you think they're going to cancel Halloween? And, well, they, they can never cancel Halloween, but I'm sure that there will be marked differences with um, attendances and visiting places. And, of course, it all depends on your state. But, you know, home haunters are always going to be there. They're always going to have their inflatables and their cemeteries and their moving ghosts and their soundtracks and their projections in the windows and everything whether or not they're letting people walk through it or whether they're just letting people drive by and enjoy it even in the midst of a pandemic you know it's the home haunters that really keep the spirit of halloween going um this is the time of the show we normally call the plugs and it looks like we have unfortunately lost jennifer i know the signal's not been great maybe we can get her on uh briefly in a little bit or not but um we want to give the guys who are still with us a chance to plug their various social medias and haunts and everything. So let's start with Veister. Tell us where people can get more information about the Haunted Vista and where they may be able to see it this October in West Carrollton, Ohio. Okay, long story short, and I'll keep it quick. Basically, you'll go to Blogspot. My Blogspot page is called The Vister's Halloween Haunt Journal, a.k.a. The Terror Turnpike. Um, you can basically look me up on Google, The Vister's, V-Y-S-T-H-E-R-S, Halloween Haunt Journal. It'll point you right to it. If you want to come and see our display, the preliminary start Labor Day weekend, and the big stuff is out the first weekend in October and does not leave until the last, basically... Halloween falls on a Saturday this year, so probably we'll probably take it out, not necessarily November 1st, but probably the 7th or 8th, the following weekend. We do it, it goes up, but the show stops after Halloween itself. But if you want to come and see it, have a little personal look, or just have a cup of coffee with us, drop me a line at ervysther at woh.rr.com. We welcome everyone, and we're always open to company. Excellent. And Charles, how about you? How can people get more information about Lost Souls in Melbourne, Florida? Well, the only social media we do right now is uh, on Facebook. So that's Lost Souls Haunted Attraction. And we will be open from the uh, middle of the month in October this year until obviously Halloween night. I don't know if we're going to go to the first, but we just may. You never know. Um, we are at 89 Northwest shannon that's s-h-a-n-n-o-n -N -N avenue 32904 melbourne florida everybody's welcome show up let's have a good time and boo <laughs> home haunters still get a pass when it comes to saying boo but that's okay so jennifer 
How can we find out more about The Haunting of Storybrook Hollow? Well, you can find us on Facebook under The Haunting of Storybook Hollow and on Instagram under The Haunting of Storybook Hollow. And on YouTube, our page is called House of a Thousand Glue Sticks. Excellent. We're looking forward to hearing more from you this season, and uh, hopefully everything goes well for you. Thank you so much. But, uh, gentlemen and Jennifer, sorry we lost you there. She was on a beach somewhere in Michigan on vacation, so we're lucky we had her for the amount of time we did. We want to thank you for taking the time to speak with us here on The Big Scary Show about your home haunts, and we wish you much success in what's turning out to be a most interesting year. And, of course, we can't do this roundtable without our wonderful hosts, including Storm. I'm pretty sure the Terror Turnpike still exists in western Connecticut and has toll booths. In the meantime, <laughs> everyone, make sure you're out there working on your socially distanced and socially smart COVID-safe haunt. Build your candy pulps now. <laughs> <laughs> meat, meat hook, Jim. I gotta say, you know, I, I'm still excited about Charles down in Lost Souls, Shannon Drive. I know it. I lived there for years, so I know exactly where you are. Uh, I messaged my niece, I'm waiting here for a response. But if anything happened, if I can swing it, I'm gonna be down there, dude. Oh, just as one last thing there, uh, Jim. I want, I want. And, and Drew, I'm sorry, I have to add this. We're not going to have a queue this year. We are going to be using the delicatessen system. Um, you'll get a number, and when you're called, you and your party can go through. Fair enough, fair enough. Very wise. I'm still looking Excellent. forward to scaring people if I can get down there. <laughs> the monster mentalist. Go ahead. And I'm retired. Go ahead. <laughs> the monster mentalist. Jerry Vane. Well, I didn't have a home hunt per se, but more like a yard hunt with a graveyard and everything. And people would go through the graveyard to get the candy and all that. And it took me three hours to put up and an hour to tear down. So wow. I have the simple life. <laughs> Basics. <laughs> Basics. Very nice. Well, in Vegas, you had the tiger pits, and that was pretty cool. Oh, shut up. Nice one, Storm. (laughs) My name is Drew Badger, and I just want to, again, yesterday was my daughter, my oldest daughter's 19th birthday, so I want to wish her, again, a very happy birthday. This is the Roundtable of Terror here on The Big Scary Show. It's refreshing to have a roundtable where Jim tells the guests he knows where they live, and we're not worried about a restraining order after. Are you looking for a comprehensive ticketing solution for your haunted attraction? HauntPay has the answer. We skip the features you don't need and focus on the ones you like, such as timed ticketing and repeat time slots, variable ticket types, bundle and combo tickets, social media discounts, and now featuring all-in-one options including managing your tickets online and at the door, as well as upselling and managing your merchandise and concessions with a comprehensive report on everything at the end of the night. Head on over to hauntpay.com 
and get started in 60 seconds for free. Gargantua, Black Lagoon, on The Big Scary Show. of the earth. This is a hot minute. And now, 
with this week's commentary, Storm. Alright, so one of the things that's popular is bringing back some sort of classic thing and and giving it a modern update, a, a newer twist, you know, something to make it more poignant in these times. And one of the biggest examples right now is Unsolved Mysteries. Ooh, Unsolved Mysteries. That's always a great concept, a lot of fun, you know, you know, turning some of your neighbors for cash and prizes if they've been hiding from the law, all kinds of good stuff. Even though, you know, most of the, you know, missing people searching for lost brothers and sisters are like adopted when they're little, it can all be solved with, you know, a, a DNA test now. So that takes a little bit of fun out of it. But Netflix did Unsolved Mysteries. I'm like, ooh, and it started out, had the music, and it had modern titles and stuff. Ooh, this looks good. And then this, like, ghostly thing of Robert Stack in the back, a silhouette of him. I'm like, oh, this should be good. And I'm watching the first one. And it's 45 minutes of people on their couches in their living rooms telling you stuff. And, you know, it isn't until you're about 45 minutes in that you find out why this needs to pull you in, why this is intriguing and stuff. And so we've taken, you know, a classic. And what was Unsolved Mysteries known for? It was known for, you know, again, the Unsolved Mysteries. That's the easy part. But it had fantastically almost comical reenactments and 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 you know they, you could tell they're really trying but you could also still tell it was a reenactment and they were fantastic and they would the directors of those would really play up the the weirdest part of the story so it really helped you with the visual other than somebody on their couch telling you about it the other thing is is the great robert stack or anyone else in a trench coat setting things up for you telling you why you want to invest the next 54 minutes into this story, why this is going to be intriguing, and what questions will you have before, after, and during the story. They don't have that setup. So it is, you know, the, the new Unsolved Mysteries. It's updated. It's modern. It's a very nice true crime docu-series. But it just leaves you lacking because I don't have the person in the trench coat setting me up. They, they need to tell me that, you know, something amazing is going to happen. So I'm not sitting there for 35 minutes. People talking on their couches in their living rooms and only one story each hour. That's a, that's a lot sometimes. And you leave out some important things. And, you know, you, you get into it, you're dozing off because I'm watching these things at, like, midnight because that's the best time to watch it. And, you know, you find out, oh, and here's the thing. They find the body in an unused common room in a converted hotel with a hole in the ceiling a week later. You know, that's fantastic. And I need the guy in the trench coat setting that up beforehand because I just can't invest myself into the rest of it. And, you know, otherwise the rest of the Unsolved Mysteries are... Are good, but I'm solving most of them. You know, there's one completely in French, and the subtitles are on light background. So I, I, I've fallen asleep through it. Netflix thinks I've watched it twice. I've watched it zero times. And then there's another cool one where you know, the small town upstate here in Massachusetts, apparently somebody was flying around in a helicopter, dosing them with LSD in the '60s, because there's no other explanation for these people's behavior. But here's my point. You know, after this long ramble, but welcome to Haunt Minute. You can get into this trap even as a haunter. You can take a nice classical appeal and, and something with it and modernize it too much so that it becomes something else, something unrecognizable by the beginning. Oh, Storm, we can't possibly do that. How could that happen? Let's look at zombies, modern zombies. Well, they're fast now, and and they're not just campy and wandering around. They come out of the dark, and there's more to them, and we... 
going with a whole virus take on them and stuff. And, and you know, my actors, they all grown too much, so we can't just have them grown. So maybe we'll have some of these fast, undead zombies. Maybe maybe they'll, they'll say something or, or do something a little bit more creepy and a little bit more intelligent. And thus you have vampires. Yes, we have turned the original concept of zombies into modern zombies, which are pretty much vampires. Instead of blood, they need... They don't just go after brains. They just eat people. You know, when vampires eat people, they just like the blood better than anything else. So, you know, you can go too far with some of this, change the original concept, and have something completely unrecognizable. And then what happens? You get people like me who watch it Unsolved Mystery on Netflix, and then you go on, like, Pluto TV, and you find the original Unsolved Mysteries, and you watch the hell out of that. So don't be that. Don't do this modern twist on your haunt to have people go, and then go to the other haunt twice, because they're, they're missing that, that classical feel. You know, it's good to update things. It's good to do a little modern twist and things that still play up into these times now. But don't do it too much. You know, too, too much seasoning will spoil the soup. Until next time, keep every minute scary. Tune in next episode for another Haunt Minute. And in the meantime, share your opinions on the Big Scary Show Facebook page. And on Twitter, at Big Scary Store. Hi, this is Josh Gates from Travel Channel's Expedition Unknown, reminding you to send all hate mail to storm at bigscaryshow.com. She's different, 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 different. She's the girl with the power to turn you on, to turn you off. She's just what Satan ordered for a witch's holiday. She sparks a picture so unusual, only the theater can tell you the title. You don't believe in witches? You'd better believe in this one. She'll blow your mind. In Eastman Color, from Joseph Brenner Associates.
And here we are yet again, Frighteners. Welcome to yet another edition of the Weister's Haunted Vista. And despite all the chaos that surrounds us, we are still rapidly approaching our night of nights and our season of seasons. In whatever form that may take, as we discussed in the Round Table of Terror, I'm certain it's going to be a memorable one no matter what happens, right? That's right! And so, without further ado, we'll pick up where we left off last time with part four of The Horror of It All. As I said before, these are just my opinions and my suggestions, you know? Don't come after me with a lynch mob or make me sit around and listen to Jerry Vane play guitar. And we'll pick up right where we left off last time at number 70, 2013's Pacific Rim. Guillermo del Toro's love letter to the kaiju generation and all that it encompasses. Now granted, this is not your atypical Halloween fair, and I agree with that. I've included a few Godzilla films in these hundreds for their unique position as well as this one. And to be quite frank, the special effects in this film just rock it. And it's a really good family film, too, if your kids are a little more brave than the average teeny bopper. And it really goes without saying that diehard fans will notice Del Toro's tributes to Kong, Godzilla, Rodan, Gamera, and so many other different kaiju franchises in this thing. It's amazing. It's a fast-moving, well-paced film with plenty of character development and drama, the lack of which plagues old kaiju films, as we all well know. Bottom line, this is a fun romp, and even though it didn't become the huge blockbuster that it was predicted to, which kind of fell over into the legendary Godzilla in 2014 as well, but that's enough on that subject, it's fun, it's colorful, it's exciting, and there's plenty of action. I mean, honestly, what more do you want? By the way, the 2019 Pacific Rim 2 Uprising was an absolute disaster. There's hardly any action in it. It's mostly about character, and there is apparently it was successful enough that there's going to be a third one. I have no idea, and I've heard no details, so take it at what it is. And that moves us on to number 69. Okay, if you don't know that intro music, turn in your Haunter's card immediately. I'm actually going to surprise a lot of people with this choice. I'm referring to 1996 Tales from the Crypt's Bordello of Blood. It was the least successful of the two films that the franchise released in the 90s, but I had a lot more fun with it than I did the 1994 Demon Knight. I thought that just didn't quite work. This thing is fun, loud, obnoxious, and just silly, silly, gory amusement. I mean, come on, really? A bunch of vampires running a bordello, led by the queen of the undead herself, Lilith, played by Angie Everhart, of all the people, though I gotta give her credit, she knocks it out of the park. And you have wiseacre comedian Dennis Miller, who was at his prime at that point, as the detective lead role, and then you add in all the guest appearances from Chris Sarandon and Corey Feldman, and it's vampire hysteria on parade, let me tell you. The special effects are pretty good in this one, the plot... Although a retread of a few familiar themes is still a lot of fun. And like I said, you just sit back and smile and laugh your butt off. It's really well done. And there's a nice little twist at the end. 
and I can honestly admit I didn't see that one coming. If you haven't seen it, I'm not going to spoil it. And on that note, on to number 68. I've mentioned a couple times over the course of this project that I did want to include a few Godzilla films within the scope of this, but they had to be something unique or special or original. And this one pretty much fits all three of those. 2016's Shin Godzilla. It's probably the most unique and adult since the 54 original. And basically it is a political satire and it reestablishes Godzilla as a major threat. There's a huge amount of re-envisioning to the character and it did offset some fans but it is actually quite original and works very well within the context of this film. The themes of progression and evolution are predominant in this movie, both with Godzilla himself and the Japanese government, which the film satirizes in a huge way. The special effects here are amazing. All computer generated, there are no sublimations, and they reflect the 1954 original as Godzilla progresses from some sort of marine-based animal making landfall and grows and evolves as his needs are present. What sets this film apart from Legendary's 2014 film is the payoff sequences. Legendary's film would tease, 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 and would always cut away from the action. In this film, Godzilla is kept in the background. His appearances are minimum, but when he's on screen, it's well worth your time. There's no cutaways, and the action is spectacular. It has a very, very sinister ending, too, if you watch very carefully. A lot of people don't understand it, but look it up. I highly recommend this one more for an adult viewing than for children, though teenagers will appreciate the satire going on if they're witty enough. The film asks very dark questions about our society, in particular what would happen in the world theater if a creature like this did appear now out of the blue, and the answers are not always that cut and dry. And speaking of controversial subjects, that brings us to number 67. nineteen seventy two's Blackula, one of the exploitation or as they called it back then, black exploitation films. Believe me, you would not get away with this kind of a film nowadays, especially in light of recent events. Still, this film has a charm all its own, especially for the time. It has that nineteen seventy two schlock feel to it, but with a saving grace is William Marshall, a classically trained Shakespearean actor who takes on the role of Prince Mamawaldi very, very well, cursed by Count Dracula himself, and unleashed in nineteen seventy. 70s Los Angeles. It's comedic, but again, Marshall plays Blackula with grace and dignity and makes him quite frightening and all the time sinister but sophisticated. Watch the film, you'll see what I'm talking about. It works very, very well. And like I said, there's a lot of cheese to it. Alicia Cook Jr., the eternal dying in the monster movie victim actor, makes an appearance and it has shades of popular television shows of the day as well. Watch it, you'll see what I'm getting at. Also take note of Charles Macaulay in the introduction as Count Dracula himself, a very sinister and well-played interpretation of the role. 
Like I said, this is cheesy fun if you get past some of the trappings, and there are some generally scary moments, and even legendary Chicago film critic Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert both gave it thumbs up, even back in their day, calling it generally frightening at points. Hey, you can't get a better endorsement than that. And on to number 66. And speaking of boogeymen and white zombies, how's that for a segue for you? I'm of course referring to the 1932 film White Zombie, which featured Bela Lugosi in probably his second most well-known and well-renowned role right behind Count Dracula, featured here as a voodoo practitioner slash plantation owner with sinister designs upon the main character and his wife. This is pre-Romero zombies, so these guys just kind of wander around and do what they're told. You wouldn't get away with that in this day and age, will you? The film is slow-moving, like a veil of deathly fog rolling over the screen, but it's very effective, and Lugosi really earned his chops in this film as well. Dracula's one thing, this voodoo practitioner named Murder, how's that for a first name, is something to behold. Sure, it echoes Count Dracula to a certain extent, but... Lugosi showed he was versatile here. Like I said, this film is a slow burn. Based upon the William Seabrook novel, The Magic Island, the film basically is largely forgotten, but it's a masterpiece of atmospherics and slow dramatic tension. And, of course, let's not forget one of the famous techno-metal bands of the 90s who borrowed the name la-da-da-da-da-da-da. Next! Coming in at number 65 is 1962's Day of the Triffids. This is the original dramatization of it. There was a 1981 TV miniseries, and there was another one of several years later, which I can't really recall the date on. But this is the big banana if you're really interested in this film. It doesn't follow the book as close as you would think. The film has kind of a War of the Worlds happy ending twist to it, but the Triffids are remarkable in this film. Homicidal plants that can basically leave their root beds, chase you down, sting you, and eat you. On top of that, at a meteor shower, which basically blinds anybody who looks at it, and you've got the pot boilings of a real disaster flick here. This is a British production, too. It's rather polite at points, but there's some very dark moments as well. The Triffids, as I said, are a unique-looking creature. They never quite got it this well in the TV miniseries either, by the way. They're much more docile-looking in those. But if you want the full effect of the apocalyptic nightmare that this film purveys, I strongly recommend you go back and read the book. It's much more pessimistic and a much darker style than this film, even though the film does use most of the major plot points from the novel. And speaking of British productions, number 64.
1968's Dracula has risen from the grave. Christopher Lee's third turn as the Count is a solid, if somewhat workmanlike, entry into the Hammer series. A moody tale of faith and revenge and comeuppance, Lee has some great lines. Now my revenge is complete. The film is filled with all kinds of gothic atmosphere and notorious scenery that only Hammer could do, plus the iconic scene of Lee's Dracula getting staked, which was used in all kinds of posters and media throughout the years. Who has done this thing? Again, not the best of the series, but definitely a great Halloween stocking stuffer if you get my drift. And on to number 63. Lasers! He's got lasers! Well, not quite lasers. I'm referring to 1936's The Invisible Ray, one of the best of the Lugosi-Karloff team-ups. A science fiction horror mashup with Karloff playing a scientist who meddles with outer space radiation, gets poisoned, and goes nuts, don't they always, basically glowing like phosphorus and anyone he touches dies instantly. And of course he goes on a rampage. You wouldn't have much of a film if he did not... And as for the rest, well, go check it out yourself. I saw this on the Son of Svengoolie way back in the summer of 1980 for the first time and was duly impressed. Both Boris and Bella are in fine form here, and the film is smart, snappy, and well-paced. Very enjoyable little romp. Go check it out for yourself if you haven't already. Number 62. <laughs> Quoth the raven, nevermore. A very apt little quote there, as Boris Karloff figures in 1963's The Raven, along with Peter Lorre and Vincent Price in one of Roger Corman, who is probably one of the most practical and cheapest horror filmmakers ever. How cheap was he? Go check out 1980's The Howling. There's a cute little cameo where he's waiting to use a payphone. Remember those? And before he uses it, he checks the coin return, just in case the guy before him left a few pennies for him to snag. Oh, jeez. Corman was also known for his reworking, very successfully by the way a few times, of Edgar Allan Poe stories, in this case The Raven being a Poe poem, but this is a cute fantasy comedy horror mashup with some great gothic sets set in a dreary castle with Karloff, Price, and Laurie playing dueling wizards amongst all the haunted house shenanigans, not to mention a cameo by a very young Jack Nicholson. They're all in fine form, it's a lot of fun, but Price, Laurie, and Karloff are wonderful here, and the film is just joyful. Fun for all. By the way, just a little side note here, Peter Laurie was known to improvise his lines a lot, which drove Price and Karloff crazy. Price made mention of it a few years after the film, and he, basically they asked Laurie to do his lines as he was written to do them. Guess what? He knew each and every one. Says volumes for his talent. And on to number 61. Release the Slayer fans. Well, not quite a Slayer songs, but this one could definitely come out of one of their sick little ditties. 1958's The Fly, one of the most renowned of all the 50s horror films featuring Vincent Price about a tale of a scientist who starts to screw around with matter transportation, does not count on a fly getting stuck in there with him, and as he tries out his device, the machine gets the DNA screwed up and splits 
slices his head and hand onto the flies, and guess what? He gets the flies head and hands. It's a really tense little piece, and there were two sequels, Return of the Fly and Chris of the Fly, but neither really matched this one for its dramatic impact or its really creepy special effects. Remember, this is where the fly gets trapped in the spider's web, and we get that, help me, help me, a scene that got nicked all over the horror genre over the following years. Beetlejuice makes good use of it as well, and a really nice twist. But this is a particularly disturbing flick. I would not show young kids unless they have a strong set of nerves. The special effects are quite good here, but if you want to go for the full gross-out, go for the 1986 Jeff Goldblum, Gina Davis remake. Now there is a pile of nastiness if I've ever seen it. Don't be a baby. I know what I'm doing. And on that note, we'll wrap things up for now and pick it up again in two weeks' time. In the meantime, if you want to get a hold of me, drop me a line at erweister at woh.rr.com. I'm taking a break from social media for now, but I will respond to all inquiries, comments, and suggestions. Also take a gander over at my blogspot page, The Vicer's Halloween Haunt Journal, full of news and reviews that you can use and abuse. And as ever, always remember Sven Gulli's cradle and brush your fangs, comb your face, drink your milk before it clots, bites mama goodnight, and always remember that I hid the body just because I ran out of bad puns. I've heard that one before. So until next time, everyone take care, be safe, use common sense when going out there. We will get through this, promise you that. And we'll see everyone again next time. Take care until then. Just want to show something no one else has? Do what Alice Cooper, Distortions Unlimited, and A-list haunters all over the world do. Wear Von Karam. Durable, handcrafted, dependable, year after year. Von Karam. When you scare enough, 
to wear the very best. Voncaron.com. V-O-N-C-H-A-R-O-N.com. As we slide back into the swamp where we hid the body, we would like to thank the following sponsors. Screamline Studios. Dark Imaginings. Von Caron Productions. Hot Pay. Ticket Leap. And Creepy Collection. We would also like to thank Virgil Franklin, Master of the Ether Muse. As well as the Fordga hosts, including Storm, Rants and More, HauntMinute.com. The Unknown Scare Actor, Actor Trainer and Traveling Actor Troop. For more information, check out MaulMonsters.com. That's M-A-U-L Monsters.com. Drew Badger, Actor Trainer and Consultant. Find out more at RabidBadger.org. And Jerry Vane, the Haunstrumentalist. For all your heavy metal and haunt needs. JerryVane.com. And finally, you, the listener. Without you, we are nothing. The Big Scary Show is copyright Big Scary Show LLC, and no rebroadcast of this show may be made without express permission of the owners. All music used on The Big Scary Show is used with expressed permission of the artists themselves.